Hello and welcome to the XXLA Architects Podcast, a show featuring Los Angeles's leading women in architecture and issues relevant to the profession. I'm your host, Audrey Sato. Leslie Sidnor is an architect now working as the Director of Planning Project Management at Cumming Corporation. Leslie grew up in New York City, wanting to affect change in the built environment, and so she went on to study architecture at Yale and then UCLA. After about 20 years in architecture, having risen to the level of associate principal, Leslie left her traditional career in architecture to work on the other side of things in project, program planning, and construction management. Throughout her career, she gained expertise in education projects, and we hear stories about her work, her experiences rising up and leaving a firm, and why being an architect now helps her excel at her current job. As women of color, we also discuss issues of race and gender and talk pretty candidly about our experiences. As you'll hear, Leslie and I met at AWA Plus D and Women in Architecture events. If you want to make connections and meet new people, I encourage you to come out to an event soon and make an effort to meet someone you don't already know. This month, there will be many chances to do so with the powerful conference on September 20th where I'll be leading a lunchtime session on goal setting. Also, Architects' exhibit, Now What? Advocacy, Activism, and Alliances in American Architecture Since 1968, will have its opening party September 8th at Wuho Gallery. In conjunction with the exhibit, I'll be moderating a panel discussion with AWA Plus D later this month. You can follow me on social media at XXLA Podcast for updates about the events. Now, without further ado, please enjoy the episode. So, growing up in the 70s in New York and watching all these huge buildings going up, and all anybody ever said is, oh, girls aren't construction workers. I'm like... Oh, well, how do I get to affect what's around me? So I think it was high school. I discovered, oh, I could be an architect. Being the daughter of a New York City employee, she was there for 38 years and a dedicated public servant. And I wanted to be as well. So I found in my first job, I could do both. I could be a public servant. I could be an architect. You can do this because, you know, I mean, you went to architecture school. We're all taught like, oh, we're going to go be the next, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, Mm -hmm. Zaha, you know. No, that's not going to happen. Not for everybody. (laughs) For some, absolutely. Sure. But not for everybody. Yeah. So what else can you do? Right. And it's really disappointing, too, if you came out of school thinking that that's the standard of whether you're successful or not. Correct. And isn't that true about most things is you kind of have to turn the idea of success on its head. It's not all about being the most famous, the richest, the most published. What's success, you know, define success for you. For me, at 23, I was successful because there were, I think it was 45 families that had been living in shelters. And when I was done with that project that I did, 45 families had a place of their own to lay their head. What was that? There was a lot of abandoned housing stock in the 70s that the city would take over from slumlords, basically. 
And when that first kind of explosion of homelessness happened, the city made a decision, we're going to take all the stuff that we own and renovate it and make low-income apartments. And so the first project that I did were three buildings on Amsterdam Avenue in Harlem that at the time was kind of sketchy and now is really nice. (laughs) Um, You'd go and do the research of what that building used to look like. And a lot of those bedrooms were way smaller back in the day. I mean, one of those buildings we worked on, I think, was built in like 1898. So tiny little yeah. bedrooms. So we there was a standard. You couldn't have a, a regular bedroom less than 100 square feet. You could have a two-bedroom, one-bath. But if you had a three-bedroom, you had to at least have an extra half-bath. So there were certain standards. We weren't just trying to cram people in. And so... It was three buildings side by side, um, 15 in a building, so 45. And that was super rewarding to just, that project was done, and it was nice and clean, and it was inexpensive, but it wasn't cheap. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, 45 families had a place to live. And then I decided to go to California. (laughs) (laughs) So I was done with that. (laughs) So you just did the one project? Well, I did the one... The one project, because, you know, projects take a while. So I was there for two years from start to finish that one project of three buildings, but then scores of other designs for buildings. We'd basically have to look at a building and evaluate, is it worth it? Can we get enough proper units in this building? Or are we going to try and do something else with this? Or are we going to kind of try and combine two buildings to make one bigger building? So... Scores and scores of other designs, but actual full-fledged documents from inception to completion was that one project. Wow. Was that typical for like for a person to be able to work on a project start to finish? Yes. Nice. Yes. And very cool because rows of drafting tables. <laughs> though I did put though I did put the department on CAD, but rows of drafting tables and it was like the boss two rows of architects, and then the row of engineers. So mechanical guy, electrical guy, structural guy sitting right there. So you would pick up your vellums, kids, (laughs) and walk over there and overlay it and have a conversation with the electrical guy. Like, is this going to work? What do we do here? So, yeah, it was very cool. Two years. I mean, with with hand drafting, that's like... Right. Exactly. Exactly. It was fun. I missed that job. What made you leave then? It was actually had nothing to do with career. It was personal. I kind of felt like I need to go be away from everybody I know and find who I was. So um, I applied to grad school. I applied to Berkeley. I applied to UCLA. I got into both, but UCLA offered lots of money. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, well, there's that answer. Yeah. So I wound up here, and I came here expecting to go home and do my three years and go back to New York and... 28 years later (laughs) that didn't happen yeah yeah i totally expected to go home too what happened uh i don't know i just made my life here my husband's job is here and after so many years you like find your people and you it feels hard to start over after you've been working in one place so long well it's funny that you say find your people So I have a tight group of friends from undergrad, and we all wound up out here. Really? Yeah. From from Yale? Mm Mm-hmm. 
That's amazing. We all wound up out here. It's so I'm very blessed. Yeah. I, and I know that. Like, I don't take that for granted at all. <laughs> were those all architecture school? No. Because I saw you were, like, uh, in Dramat. I don't know how I, you say Oh, that. yes, yes. Yale Dramat. The, the Yale Dramat, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's the undergraduate drama organization. None of them were in Dramat, actually. So they um, were not in architecture, but they... Uh, they understood the the pain that we went through. <laughs> well, they probably saw you. Yeah, they did. They'd come and rescue us from studio at midnight. <laughs> come have pizza and beer, okay, but we have to go back to studio. Yeah, but it's like so important to have friends who are not also yep. in architecture school. Yes, that is very true. For, but so, for so many reasons. Yeah. You know, um, it's for perspective. It's for sanity it's to kind of refeed your soul in a different way yeah so yeah absolutely actually so i have a group of girlfriends we all worked together for an architect in the 90s right after the earthquake we all wound up at this firm together and we're still friends all these years later which i'm really proud of Uh that we we stayed friends and Everybody, well, everybody except for one is still in architecture, but we still get together after all these years, and that's super cool. But I don't have that many friends who are architects. I mean, I have a few. Obviously, you can't not. Right. But it's not like, oh, all of my friends are architects. No, not so much. What was it about that place in the 90s? Because it must have been rare to have a lot of women in a place. It's funny. Uh, So (laughs) it was Caldwell Architects. And it's funny because at one point John said, you know, if I could get away with it, I would have all my staff be women because you guys just work harder <laughs> and, you, and you're smarter. <laughs> it's like, but I can't get away with that. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of women and we were all mid late twenties. So it was kind of like that perfect time because, you know, people weren't necessarily tied down yet. Um, so we've been together through, you know, babies and, marital strife and career questioning and it's really great because i think since we all knew each other when we were like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and have been through the wars that we're still there to kind of prop each other up and support each other i mean i left traditional the traditional practice of architecture first and then one of them called and said so i'm thinking about this position and so she told me about it and I said oh yeah you could totally do that you will be great at it. it you know it'll be fine and I think she's been doing that for four years now and mm-hmm. totally loves it and is really great at it and now I'm trying to get the third one <laughs> to, pull her, to pull her over all right so what is so great your role is construction manager well depends on where I am oh, okay <laughs> So what is your role? So so I'm currently at Cumming, which does program management, project management, cost management, sustainability, construction management. Okay, and so those are the different services mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. would you as an individual provide for a project? So it depends on the client. Okay. So when I started there three years ago, I was with a school district that was doing a lot of construction. And they needed 
supplemental construction managers because they didn't have enough staff of their own. Mm -hmm. So I did pure construction management. That's what I did. The project was actually, when I started, the projects were actually already construction. So I jumped in and did, you know, basically the owner side of what you do for CA. I mean, I, I find them to be very similar. I don't have the same vested interest as a CM as you do as an architect doing CA. But it's kind of the same thing as kind of vetting the RFIs before they get to you, you know, and pushing back on the on the contractor, for example, and saying, that's not a valid question because the answer to that question is, you know, on this sheet, just go look at it. <laughs> um, flip side is, is, hey, going to the architect, that RFI has been out there for three weeks. What are you doing? You're killing me here. Yeah. Because I do schools, intervening, kind of jumping in with DSA is necessary. So that was the first thing that I did when I joined Cumming. And then I moved on and was a program manager. So in that school district, it was a team of four of us. And we helped the facilities director deal with the bond money, kind of keep track of it. Oh. And help her decide how to spend it. We served, I it was me primarily served as design manager. So helping the architect understand what it was the district was looking for, but also working with them, keeping the schedule together, working on budgets, working out, you know, kind of going going back and forth between the architect and the owner, or at least bringing them together to have conversations about, you know, how do we really want this to look? Can we sacrifice this to get that? I'm kind of trying to look at the bigger picture. But we, and then part of my team would actually be out there with the stuff that was in construction. On that project, we kind of took care of everything. And then now I am on the planning side, planning schools. I think the easiest way to describe it is a design manager. Okay. So this is the scope. Here's, here's the school. Here's the scope. Here's the budget. Mm-hmm. Here's the district standards. Helping, working to do funding through um, the California Department of Education and the Office of Public School Construction, dealing with that, and kind of looking at overall. We're divided into regions, so kind of looking overall at our region, what are we doing, taking lessons learned from the projects we already did to to put it into the projects that we're doing forward. Mm -hmm. And Long Beach has a lot of money, so we're going to be at it for a while. Nice. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. But then there are also coming people in the district who are doing construction management, who I never see, who are out there dealing with the contractor, dealing right. with the architect, getting the, getting the project built. And then there's a part of the our office that does um, sustainability, working for Metro, working with school districts to make the most of the Proposition 39 money for sustainability upgrades, things like that. And then if you need a cost estimate, we do that. <laughs> that's that's where we started as cost estimator. So oh wow. So we, we touch everything except for design. Actually, yeah, yeah. So you basically have experience with everything. Like mm-hmm. from without being the owner, you have that mm-hmm. experience of like managing budgets and money and deciding what gets built or what the scope or the program is. Mm-hmm all the way to helping to build it. Mm-hmm. And then as an architect in your past, yep. you also had designed all of that. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. If you had asked me 20 years ago yeah. what I would be doing, I would still be, you know, designing mm-hmm. or project managing. 
How long were you like a, in traditional architecture? Well, what, I left five years ago, so give, I mean, give or take like 20 years. Do you think that you had to have the experience of being an architect in order to do what you're doing? I think I'm better at it because I was an architect. I kind of fell into school design <laughs> because, for, well, because I grew up in New York and I didn't know that was a thing. Like, because schools in New York, they've been there for, I mean, my high school was considered new and it was built in 55. You didn't really see new schools. Yeah. So, like, growing up, I was like, oh, well, in, in New York City, right. I'm not saying elsewhere. Sure. But, like, in, like, it just wasn't in my head, like, oh, people design schools because nobody, you don't get new schools in New York. So, whatever. So, I got out here and I graduated and I graduated during the recession of 93. Oh, fun. Right. <laughs> um, and didn't do architecture right away. Actually worked on uh, movies and TV. But somebody who had graduated the year before me from UCLA knew I did CAD, which at the time people didn't do CAD. Right. Mm -hmm. And rare. so, right. So he called me and said, can you like come work for us for a little bit? We got this project to finish. I'm like, okay. Well, it was a school. Hmm. And they did a bunch of schools. And so I was there for eight months or so and did a couple of private school dorms and worked on a library and you know various school buildings and I was mm -hmm. like okay but I didn't think about it I'm just this was the work and then I wanted to leave there and I applied at Caldwell and Caldwell did schools I mean we did a couple other things but we did schools I'm like oh it's a thing almost every other job with a couple of exceptions after that I did schools and I never went to firms because they did schools Hmm. It just, I went to the firm because the firm seemed like it was doing cool stuff and it was a good culture and it was a good place to be. And they happened to be, do schools. Wow. Do you think that that helped you to get hired though? I mean, I'm sure, mm -hmm. right? After a while, yeah. It becomes yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, you know DSA. Oh, you know how to do schools. Right. Come, please do that for us. So yeah, it, 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 absolutely. I mean, nobody would hire me to go do a hospital. I've done them. <laughs> I... I, but I don't know. I mean, I've worked. Okay, I haven't done them. I've worked on them. But nobody would hire me. Oshpod, no, thank you. That's that's fine. Thank you very much. Next. So, yeah. Well, I mean, they might hire you, but not at the level that right. you True. are. True. Uh, we had a project. It was a very difficult site. It was kind of a difficult contractor. And the district asked us, like, we need somebody on site all the time. And so... I was elected to go out and be on site all the time. And that was kind of the trigger mm -hmm. just to be out there, to be in a hard hat and vest every day, walk on the site with the contractor and the owner's rep, looking at problems and kind of solving, you know, here, this doesn't work. What do you think works? That I was like, oh, that's not going to work. But we could do this. Going back, sketching it up, vetting it if I needed to with you know mechanical or structural whatever, and then getting it done, and just watching, almost from ground up, watch this building come to life. I think we fi we finished the Saturday before the Monday that school started. Oh my god! Yeah, we raced, but we got it done. <laughs> we got it done. They really needed you. <laughs> the, yeah. But it was, it was great because it was like, see, this is what I wanted to do. Actually build buildings. Like, it's happening. And things that I say are codified in steel and wood and plaster and glass. And it's actually happening. And it's not just lines on a page. And then I went back to the office after that project was done. And 
I don't know that you have this, since you're working for yourself, you have this experience like on a different level. In a larger office, to be promoted, unless you're a designer with a capital D, to be promoted means that you manage projects or you manage people, Mm -hmm. but you don't design. And that's where it was. Yeah. And I'm not saying I wasn't good at it. I was good at it. But, I mean, I had a day where I um, I went on the internet and I printed, you know how um, Peanuts, Lucy would put up her sign, the mm-hmm. doctor's in with the, her little coin thing on the, out in a nickel and yeah. Charlie Brown could go whine to her. So I did that one day because <laughs> that was what was happening. Nobody was talking about architecture. <laughs> right. They were like... I can't get this done. I'm sad about that. It's like, really? <laughs> this is why I went to architecture school. Yeah. To like listen to you guys whine. Like, this is not why I went to architecture school. Yeah. And so, you know, the disenchantment grew a bit. And somebody that I worked with many, many years before had risen to being a program manager at a college. And so I went to him, try to get a job for us because they were going to build um, a childcare center. Like, oh, we want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I go to do my song and dance up, hire us, hire us. And he said, oh, that's why you're here? I was like, why did you think I was here? And he said, oh, I thought you wanted a job because I have this big project I'm going to build and I want you to manage it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And it took about a year for it to come to fruition, but I was like, yes, thank you. What? You want me to manage an $80 million job? Yes, thank you. Yes, I want to do that. So that's how I made the leap. Holy cow. Yeah. But like, okay, so 2012, that was still like the recession. That was still difficult to get projects. Yeah. And difficult to get a job. Even if you were looking, if you didn't have a job. If you didn't have a job, you could. But that's true in general. I tell people this all the time. It's easy to get a job when you have a job. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a job, it's hard. And I don't believe it's because it's that like, well, you don't have a job and you're stressed. I don't think it's that. I think it's just really hard when you don't have one. Of course, it depends on when it is. If times are good and you don't have a job. It's kind of like, well, what's wrong with you? Why yeah. don't you have a job? And if times are bad, I mean, not everybody's not working. So how come you're not working? Yeah, I would say yes, except also in 2012, like a lot of my friends were not working. And mm-hmm. I know that they're not, they weren't like not bad employees. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no, that's very true. It's funny because I'm friends with a woman who, she was my TA and many years later we wound up in the same place and she worked forever and she's really talented and she's great and she you know lost her job during the recession and I was like oh that's not good yeah like when you know when people you know are good yeah are losing their job so I consider myself lucky that I didn't right and that I was in the right place at the right time and that we that the firm survived and Mm -hmm. you know we managed to push through So in that job, you were going after work for your firm. Mm -hmm. You were managing people. And projects. And projects. Mm -hmm. I mean, what what was your title or your role at that point? You must have been pretty high. When I left, I was an associate principal. Yeah, it sounds like it's Mm -hmm. a pretty high up there Mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. of role. Mm -hmm. From the perspective of, let's say, a 20-something-year-old working in an office, Mm -hmm. you kind of like made it you know what i mean like yeah no 
I don't. I yeah. totally agree. And it's funny because I made associate principal, and I think I left a year later, and everybody looked at me like, "Are you crazy? What is wrong with you?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, but I don't want to be doing this. Like mm-hmm. the title is all well, fine, and good. Well, my mom used to say." From the Pope to the Panhandler, everybody's the same. And what she meant by that, because we would talk about it, is the title is the title. What are you doing? Because you could call somebody a sanitation engineer. You can call him a garbage man. What's he doing? So, yeah, okay, I'm associate principal. I totally appreciate that. I don't take anything away from that. I just didn't want to be doing that. Yeah. It was just that simple. It's a great... And I, I, I loved my job until I didn't. I mean, I absolutely, I got up every day thankful to work where I worked and for whom I worked for, um, to somebody I'm still very close to who is still my mentor, who I still call, mm-hmm. but I just didn't want to be doing that anymore. Because especially re- recession, especially when you're not one of the bigger, bigger firms, you're not doing really great stuff. I mean, I was doing... $150,000 modernizations on classroom buildings. Mm-hmm. Like, really? Right. I wanted to be building. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be building. I didn't want to be, like, putting in new cabinet work and a new marker board in a classroom. Like, that right. was not, like, yeah, no. I don't yeah. want to be doing this. And it's my, it's impatience. It's my impatience because the office is huge now. They're doing amazing things. And I was just impatient. But... My impatience, I feel like, paid off for me because I've done some cool stuff since I left. Yeah. So it sounds like that decision to leave was really easy for you. I mean... No, no, no. The look on my face is because, yes, it was, <laughs> it was easy for me, except for the fact that I loved my boss. And it was like leaving a friend. That's so and rare, that, by the way. Oh, I know. Okay. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know that's super rare. I adore her. I love her. She's amazing. And she is very responsible for the career that I've had. As the person that I work for the longest, who is that person who will recognize talent and nurture you. She is a mom. She's not a mom, but she's a mom. In the office, we used to call her mom (laughs) because she was nurturing and she was like, this is how you do this and I need you to do that and, you know, and made it happen. You know, showed me how to how to look at the schedule for the whole office, how to um, forecast so that we knew were we making our targets for our billables, like stuff I never thought about. Like I pro- I know that I don't know it as well as you do, but like I knew how to run an office. I never oh, thought. I, I need that person. <laughs> like I'm like, oh, that's so interesting. I want someone to show me all this because I just have to learn it by figuring I'm out figuring. what I don't know. Right. Yeah. No. She taught. She taught me that. Made me. I'm an introvert, and she would drag me to you know these big conferences, and make me like you know get out there and <laughs> business develop. It was the most painful thing ever. <laughs> But I did it. I think, I mean, I think I did okay at it. What do you, like, what do you mean? What does that look like? Well, so, for example, if you're really involved in in school design, there's the Coalition for Adequate School Housing, CASH. And there's a similar one for community colleges. And they have conventions, for lack of a better word. And so you go up there and there's, you know, there's facilities directors, and there's other architects. There's 
contractors and all people that you know you can somehow do work with or do work for and so you're out there representing your company like you should hire us and here's why you should hire us and so you spend a lot of time talking and i'm not good at that Hmm. and you know just being personable and 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 talking about the work that you do and how you can help that client or help that contractor do a great job and win the work. And, you know, for me, it's hard. For some people, for her, it was very natural. She says she says no, but I, I still go places. And they're like, how is she? I'm like, she's great. <laughs> so I am not that bubbly personality. That is not me. So it was always really hard. But I did it. So now when I have to do it for my current firm, I know how. I don't like it, <laughs> but I know how to do it. Yeah, that's a skill in itself. Like. It is. I'm always amazed at people who can just like walk in a room and be on and just walk up to strangers like, what? I don't know the person. You want me to go walk up to them and say hello and tell them about myself? Why do they care? They don't care. But yeah, if you want to work, right? sometimes you have to do that. Well, um, I don't know if you were at that. I think it was a... AWA plus D, or it might have been a women in architecture thing with Dr. Judith Siegel. I was not. Okay. She coaches executives and Mm -hmm. people who have to appear confident and Mm -hmm. powerful and all of this. Okay, okay. And she made this point that she was like, I bet the first thing you did when you signed in was you looked at that sheet to see if you knew anyone else. And then you went to go find that person. And if you didn't know anybody, you went straight for the food or the drinks and like tried to not look too uncomfortable right and i was like wow like how did she know me like right 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 i didn't know anyone and then i went to the drinks and felt weird and right she's like everyone's just waiting for someone else to approach them so just approach people and they will be so appreciative Interesting. Okay. I'm going to have to remember that. Because that's exactly, I mean, at the event that we met, yeah. that, exactly that. Walked in. Oh, nobody I know is here yet. Oh, I'm going to go have some tea. And yeah. I think you and I just wound up. Did we meet at the food or do we meet sitting next, just sitting next to each other? I think we no, met at the food. We met did? at the food. Right. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. I have to remember that. That's good. I never think anybody's really like me. I'm like, oh, everybody else here is just ready to chat, get their chat on, and they're so interesting, and yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but once I started talking with you, I was like, oh, she's so interesting. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that you had left architecture, I mean, traditional architecture. I still think that what you do requires... I don't know. Does it require the skills of an architect? Yes. Um, No, everybody who does what I do is not an architect. But it's one of those things that I think that architects are great generalists, and we do a lot of things well, and we don't get credit for the things that we do well. We were doing a project for LAUSD, and the first design manager we had was an engineer. And it was just a really painful experience. It just, just (laughs) like, ah! Um, the next project we did, our design manager was an architect and it was amazing because you would ask for something and he understood why you were asking. That just made all the difference in the world. Yeah. It wasn't like, I'm not trying to be a pain in the butt. I need this information from you because I'm trying to do this project for you. And from the first guy who was an engineer, he just didn't understand why I needed that and just thought that we were being ridiculous. But the second person was an architect and actually the third guy was an architect And they got it. And so the process went much more smoothly. And I just think that 
it's not really the education in school you get as an architect. I think it's the education you get in practice as an architect. You have to know so many things. I mean, depending on the kind of architecture you do, you have to be somewhat artistic. You have to think spatially. You have to figure out building codes. You have to know how to talk to officials, be that a plan checker, or you're making a presentation before a design review board, or presenting to a community who does not want your project in their community, um, who does not necessarily trust your client because of broken promises over and over again. You have to know how to team build because you have your, your engineers, for example, and you need them all working together toward a common goal. You have to know how to present yourself because you're looking for work. I just think there's so many things you kind of have to know how to do. And you're a planner. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, there's urban planners. Right. But you're still a planner. You're planning your project. You are potentially planning your firm. I don't think you can plan your career, so we're not going to go there. (laughs) Um, But you are a planner. And so in the job, particularly the job that I have right now, where my title is project planner, I'm looking at, I mean, I've got projects that are in construction. I have projects that are in design and I have projects that I'm about to start design and I'm finding myself having to pull from the information I know about the projects and construction to inform the design and the yet to be designed so that these projects learn from these projects. Mm -hmm. So being able to have a really wide view, I think is very valuable. Everybody wants to be a specialist. I don't You know, because you want to be an expert. I mean, we are. It's not that we're not experts. We are experts, but we're kind of minor experts at a lot of stuff as opposed to being really deep experts at one thing. Right. Although I would say that you're probably more specialized with your focus being schools Mm -hmm. than an architect would have been 50 years ago. True. Very true. Because architects used to design everything. Yeah. Because it didn't used to be as hard. Right. Yeah, like I haven't done a house in I don't know how long. And I don't know that I could. I mean, I'm sure I could, but it would take a while. Because it just, not not the design of it. Actually, the design of it is not what would concern me. It's actually the like getting through the building department part of it. Because the Division of State Architects is a very different animal from the building department. I would imagine the DSA is much Harder. I mean, not knocking the no, building no, no, department because no, no, no. that's I would, hard. No, I wouldn't disagree with you because I actually so weird projects. Do you have weird projects in your portfolio? Oh my they, gosh! So my weird. I think my weirdest project we did. So there was a mall built in East LA in the eighties with the big anchor stores and blah blah blah. And over the years, it had been abandoned, and it was. I think there was a beauty school in one end. Hmm. Ice was in the other end. Ugh. There were a bunch of offices of immigration lawyers in former retail spaces, because, hi, ICE is right there. Right. And then some, like, funky little tchotchke shops here and there, right? <laughs> so ICE moved out of one end, and a little independent charter school wanted to move in. So it's a K-5 through charter school, arts-focused, budget that was, you know, that big. 
Well, most of the time when you see elementary school kids, they're on the first floor. Right. Because of code. You can put young kids above the first floor, but you need all kinds of exits and rated walls and all that stuff. So remember, this is a mall. There's (laughs) one rated stair that actually did exit directly outside, but there's one rated stair in the back, and there's an open stair that I cannot rate to save my life in the front. And I'm trying to put kindergarten through second grade (laughs) up there on that second floor. And if it had been DSA, there's no way that would have happened. But it was the building department. I worked really hard with the L.A. Fire, who he retired. Actually, he re- the day he saw my drawings, he retired. <laughs> and it wasn't my fault. I, okay. I, I didn't do it. <laughs> he was retiring anyway. Um, but we worked together, and he's like, okay, put a hallway here, put two doors here. This will create this enclosure. It's sprinklered. Okay, done. But... Yeah, that was a like a huge, cha- weirdest project I ever did, super huge challenge. And yeah, that was the building department. So I guess I could deal with the building department. <laughs> I mean, if I, could de- if I could get that project through the building department, I suppose I could get anything. Yeah. I could, I could do a house. I could probably do a house. But it's a different part of your brain that you're working with, even though you're still designing, because it's so intimate. Like even, I mean, schools can be intimate, but the entire experience is not intimate. Right. I mean, spec houses aside, you're designing a house for somebody. You're like, you know, for that period of that design period, you're kind of married to that person and you're really intimate with them and you're figuring out their likes and their dislikes. You're doing a school that's like, you know, the facilities guy doesn't like blue carpets. You're not doing blue carpet, but you're going to do carpet. (laughs) And they already picked the carpet that they want because they've tested it. And this is the thing that stands up to all the cleaning and all the stains and it's easy to get. And it's not really expensive. And so that's what we're doing. You have these spaces that can be intimate, like you design these great little breakout spaces, especially with the way that education is going right now. It's more about intimate spaces and breakout spaces and spaces where people can work together as opposed to the lecturer in the front of the room talking to rows and rows of kids. But it's still not the, it's not the same kind of emotion designing a house. So that's why I say, I, I don't know that I could design a house. I don't know that I can get that emotional connectivity with a client that way. Um, I'm sure you could design a house. <laughs> <laughs> I think luckily I have nice clients who are good human beings. Mm-hmm. So even if they are being difficult, I can remind myself they don't mean it. Okay. <laughs> but I do envy the like more commercial, the quicker jobs. I do miss that where I can kind of get something done and accomplished mm-hmm. and not have to redesign something over and, and over, over again. And over again. Yeah. I think it's more difficult than it should be. And it's all of the different regulations and like the amount of regulation and bureaucracy that you have to literally become an expert on mm-hmm. in going through that process just to build a house is kind of nuts. But I think you could do it since you've schools i think that's actually why architects make good legislatures you think yeah actually a friend of mine from um architecture school is uh a councilman in the city of houston oh and i think it's just because you know we have to deal with rules and regulations all the time we know how codes affect people things like i'm going back to the first buildings that i did they used to build buildings in new york butt up against each other right and then 
Somebody made a code that there has to be light and air in all apartments. So if you look at Google Maps of a part of the city that still has old tenement buildings, not true brownstones, but old tenement buildings, there'll always be like this funky diamond shape between them so that there are windows. And that was about every apartment getting access to air and light. Mm -hmm. That's code, and it affects people in a very direct way. Mm -hmm. So I think that when we're always thinking that way, I think that some of us could make good mayors and senators and public officials. Yeah. <laughs> Are you thinking of another career change? No. <laughs> no, no, no. There are people far better suited to that than me. Though when I was a kid, I didn't like our local assemblyman at all. And I, when I was a kid, I swore I was going to run for his, his seat, but I left New York, so I didn't get to run for it, but I swore I would. Wow. Yeah. That's ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> I was like assemblyman of this like little neighbor. I mean, now it's, it's a, I, I imagine now it's a much more powerful seat because it's Washington Heights is like the next big thing in Manhattan. But at the time, nobody knew about Washington Heights. Lin-Manuel Miranda had not written in the Heights yet. So, um, and Law and Order hadn't shot all over the Heights yet. So I think I totally could have taken that seat, but you know, I left. So, um, well, you know, you've been on the East coast, you've been in California, you went to Yale, UCLA, do you feel there was like a really big cultural difference between those two kinds of worlds and the schools? Well, what's funny is it's rather relevant now. I mean, it's been relevant for a while, but it comes more into focus now. There was the incident at Yale with the woman who harassed the black woman sleeping in a common room and kind of the fury that happened after that to add to the list of things that black people can't do, can't sleep in the common room in our college. Oh, um, sorry, I'm not familiar with what happened. Oh, uh, so uh, grad student, there's a the Hall of Graduate Studies at Yale, and a woman was, you know, working on a paper and fell asleep in the common room. The Hall of Graduate Studies, among other things, is a, is a dorm, and so, you know, there's, like, your apartment, but then there's common spaces, and people, you know, study and gather and whatever, and a woman was there, she fell asleep studying, and a white student called the Yale police on her, and as everything now is, it was Facebook Live. <laughs> and, you know, it was nonsense. It was absolute nonsense. I, I, I could go on a diatribe about that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, and, you know, friends talked about kind of the similar experiences that they had had when we were undergrads there. But I think as a woman, I did not deal with the same level of scrutiny that they did. So I say that to say... Not that I didn't encounter racism, but it was not overt and blatant and soul-sucking. Mm. So I go to UCLA, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm in California. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody thinks California is so mellow and so cool. And I got to UCLA not knowing that they were under a federal consent decree because they were, I mean, it's a little more convoluted than this, but essentially to break it down briefly, is there were no women tenured 
in the architecture school and one person of color. And I don't know that he was actually tenured at the time, now that I think about it. Mm. There had been incidents of teachers, professors failing all of the students of color and all of the women in his class. Oh, my God. Um, and, you know, how you're not supposed to talk about your grades. And so I think that's what he was counting on. But people talked about it and then everybody realized, like, what had happened. Wait, is that, like, a um, policy there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just, I think, you know, I think people think that... Kids don't talk about the grades. Oh my gosh! So when I teach, I'm I'm like like you know that 90% they do. Percent sure they do. But they do. Well, I guess he assumed they did. Oh my god! But they did, and they found out. You know, so I got there in that environment. I I remember there was a black student organization, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't join. I'm like hyper focused and not really being social and not really thinking kind of outside of myself. But at the end of the first year. I got a crappy grade in construction class. Like, really? Because, number one, I have stuff built. Number two, I got A's on all my exams. Number three, we all had to team and build a bridge, like an actual bridge that had to support people. My team won. So how did you give me this grade? Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, on the bridge design, you did really badly. So one assignment out of the entire semester causes you to give me this grade no right <laughs> I'm not having it and i protested that grade all summer i complained to everybody i was in the dean's office like every day all summer it was my job i didn't i wasn't working that summer it was uh-huh. my job because <laughs> i was not having it yeah like and i'm not a grade monger I get a C, I'll take a C. But this was not, that, I wasn't having it. Yeah. And finally, by the end of the summer, he changed my grade because the evidence spoke for itself. Right. And I was then asked to be and actually made the architecture chair of the Black Student Organization simply on the basis of fighting this guy wow. for, you know, two, three months which kind of was the spark of my activism, but was also the eye-opener of, you know, in architecture school at Yale, I had no issues. Like, I didn't feel like, and and my wife asked me this all the time, you know, you didn't encounter racism at Yale? I'm like, no, not really. It felt to me, at least academically, it felt to me like a meritocracy. I got a good grade because I worked my butt off. I didn't get a good grade because I slacked. <laughs> done straightforward like it was pretty wasn't like he could have given me a better grade on that drawing but I'm a woman so like I never felt that way I never had issues with Uh the grades that I got so now I'm going to you know the liberal left coast and it's higher academia because it's grad school right and it's going to be the same and it was not. Yeah. It was not at all. Wow. There were some bright spots. Frank Israel was my thesis advisor. I still miss him. He was amazing. We fought. <laughs> we would fight, but it was a good fight. It was a good fight. It made me a better designer. It made me make better decisions. There were a few. I, you know, I could call out a few who were great, but yeah, it wasn't. Wow. It wasn't fun. Wow. It wasn't fun. It was a battle. And it was, you know, it was it was eye-opening. 
you know, women go through this and then women of color go through this, you know, exponentially Mm -hmm. of working harder for half or less of the recognition. That just became clear. And I don't get mad about it because it is what it is. It just means that I'm better. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Nice. That's the way I take it is, you know. That's fine. I have to, you know, make more noise to be heard. It's annoying. It's ridiculous. But it is what it is. And so we rise to the challenge. Do you think that your efforts over that summer to change your grade made any impact outside of that one, you know, the grade change itself on that particular professor or um, other people? I don't think it, I don't think it made one bit of difference to him. I do think that though our class was very vocal about a lot of things. There were a couple of things that happened. There was somebody else who made a comment they shouldn't have made that outraged a lot of people and our class rose up and had that instructor removed. That's impressive. Yeah. So I had been, you know, I went to school during the apartheid protests. So I did that. You know, I was involved, not like crazy involved, but I was involved in that. But being at UCLA at the time and having classmates who truly cared for each other, I mean, somebody overheard the instructor say that to that student. The student was not the one who said anything. It was a classmate who flipped out and was like, what are you saying? You can't say that. And again, the comment was, you know... You just shouldn't have said it. It wasn't necessarily racist. It was just really insensitive. Sure. With a racial undertone, but it was really insensitive. But I don't think it was mean-spirited. It was kind of ignorant. But the class, like, I mean, we came together and we're like, yeah, if you don't know what's wrong with what you said and you're not apologetic, you got to go. Wow. And that was that. That's amazing. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, there's so much that, we're all talking about now that when you are the person that's being oppressed or like in a less powerful position than the the person who's doing or or saying something to you and and directly affecting you, it is difficult to stand up for yourself. Right. I mean, I feel like that's part of the conversations that's being had now is that it's not that it doesn't do any good for us as women, as people of color, to say anything, but we need to have our allies say something because, you know, on a certain level, it just looks like we're whining, (laughs) right? But if someone who looks like the oppressor or the offender calls them out, that's different. Mm -hmm. And that situation at at UCLA was exactly that. Mm -hmm. It was an ally who called out the bad behavior. And our class came to, I mean, our class was pretty feisty. Uh, there was one, I remember a, a, a crit by an architect whose work I like, but personally I think is a jerk, um, <laughs> who's probably on that list, that um, architecture <laughs> me too list. Yeah. I haven't looked, but if I look at and see his name there, I'm not going to bat and I'm not going to be surprised at all. But he was berating a really beloved class member and people flipped out. It was like, you can't talk to him like that. It was amazing because you you know how it goes in reviews. Yeah. Students don't talk. They get knocked down and they don't speak up and nobody speaks up and you just take it and then you go home and cry. <laughs> and go out, cry, have some beer and think I'm quitting architecture. And 
our class was like, no, no, no. You cannot talk to him like that. That is not constructive. And how dare you talk to him like that? Like, we were pretty, I mean, we are a pretty feisty class. Yeah. I mean, okay, to, so in all fairness, I don't think I've sat in a review like that maybe in a very long time. Like, mm-hmm. I think things used to be remarkably bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if I hate what I'm looking at. I always make it a point not to be that juror because you know they worked hard. They just didn't get their idea across. And so I feel like the idea is to help them get their idea across. Yeah. Period. You didn't You didn't succeed. Here's why you didn't succeed. It's not because you suck. Right. And you'll make a horrible architect and you should just go home. It's not that. <laughs> it's that you didn't develop that thought. Right. And you thought you were saying this and you didn't say that. It says this instead. Or it says it, but it says it really weakly. And it allows me to think all these other things. And I'm sure that's appreciated. Well, I also, I love to sit on juries because um, I think we passed 400. There are only 400 black women licensed as architects in the country. So I feel like I got to represent. <laughs> <laughs> I was very excited to see uh, there's a new TV show, Marlon, which is Marlon Wayans. His wife's an architect. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Who did this? Who's responsible for this? She's black and she's an architect. Yes. It was, I was so, it was like, everybody's looking at me like, are you okay? <laughs> no, I'm not okay. Like, this is amazing. She's an architect. There's only 400. Like, how did they pick for her to be an architect? Like, that's amazing. And it's a good representation of an architect because every, you know, oh, sometimes, good. Some, you know, because yeah. you know how they represent us. Yeah. And it's kind of like, really? That's not what we do. Right. That's not how that works. <laughs> We, we can be proud. Oh, cool. I'm going to have to yeah, look it you up. Got to, yeah. yeah. I think it's like, it's the episode where they go and talk to their kid's class on like, you know, career day. Oh, that's so cool. And she just says, I'm an architect. And I was like, wait, what? We didn't know that in the first two episodes. <laughs> so that was very cool. Do you feel like you have this responsibility? So I, I mean, I kind of feel this responsibility as well, just being female a lot of architecture students are Asian, so I'm not, like, I think they have enough <laughs> Asian people to look at, you know? But, like, but but I feel it much more strongly in terms of being female, that it's important for me, because I'll often be the only female on a panel. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you feel isolated sometimes in, in our profession as a Black woman? Or is that not an issue for you, like personally i think as i get older it's more of an issue which is weird I, I imagine it should be less of an issue but i i think it's more of an issue now why is that um i think just because of the climate that we're in you know as a woman we can do anything yeah um as people of color we can do anything yeah but there's this climate that says that we're only supposed to be doing certain things right so there's not an expectation that i I'm an Ivy League graduate. There's not an expectation that I am. Um, I am. That how many times do you tell people you're an architect and they're like, oh, I wanted to be an architect. Like, it's that cool profession. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to do that. You don't see black women architect? Wait, no. Yeah, I am. And I've been responsible for a lot of things. And so um, I don't feel, I can't say I feel isolated, 
But I just do feel a, a, a great sense of importance to represent, to let people know that. When I was much younger, we never told anybody where I went to school. I used to be like, oh, I went to school back east. Oh, I went to school in Connecticut. It was not like a thing that I talked I do about. That sometimes. Yeah. I used to do it all the time. And so and a friend of mine had me do a talk to some inner city kids about what I do. So I'm talking, I'm an architect and this and that. And she stopped and she said, tell them when you went to school. I went to Yale. And like mouths dropped open, eyes popped wide open. And I realized like, if you've never seen it, it's really hard for you to imagine it. And so I find it really important to be, you know, and I'm not out there as much as I need to be. And I I know that I'm trying more now to be more involved because if you can't see it, you know, you might not imagine that that's possible for you. And so we need to be out there telling people that this is what we do and what we can do and that we do it well and sometimes better. And you don't have to worry about the things you think you have to worry about. Like you don't have to worry about being a woman in the profession because we're very well respected. And you don't have to worry about being a person of color because in this day and age, like it's very rare that I'm in a room anymore where I'm the only, I can be the only black person, but I'm not the only person of color. And so there is some kind of, a certain level of camaraderie at some point that there's an understanding like, well, we both worked our tails off to be here. We're both very good at what we do. So let's just put all that stuff right. aside. We don't have to prove anything. We can just get down and do the work. Yeah. I, I guess I asked uh, that question too, because I think it's only when other people have pointed out to me my race or my gender that mm-hmm. I've felt self-conscious mm-hmm. as like being different. Mm-hmm. There are other ways in which we're all different um, culturally or the way we've been brought up or whatever it is, but it, it's strange when someone else sort of points it out. Right. Self-realization. Of right. Yeah. So I had this experience. It was me. Um, I think he's actually Taiwanese and a woman. She's white. And I think she was the youngest one at the table. So I'm representing one client. She's representing the other client. We're building this project together. And then he was the architect. He was, you know, the project manager. And so he and I realized that we had worked for the same person, but at different times. So we're going on. Wasn't it great? He was so great. And I loved working there. What did you work on? Oh, I remember that project. I was there when I saw it. Like, we were just going on and on and on. And she says to me, not to him. She says to me, oh, you worked there? What did you do? And I had to, like, stop and not be sarcastic. Because that's <laughs> really why I really wanted to just, like throw out some really withering comment, but I was like, no, because I'm going to have to be working with you for like a couple of years now, and I don't want to go there. And I just said, I was an architect. (laughs) And she, you know, she turned shades of red, Uh and then we carried on. It's that stuff. Yeah. It's like, I'm talking to somebody about working for an architect. I'm sitting here as an owner's rep, and you know that. So what did you think I did when I was there? I mean, my first, literally my first thought was to say like, oh, I used to empty the trash. That was really because I just wanted to be that obnoxious. (laughs) And I was like, no, no, I'm going to take the high road. Not going to say that. Yeah. Just going to, you know, I'm like, really, is this still happening? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many times 
I, and I just don't question anymore, like, what the reason is someone no, is asking. Can't. No, you, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, you're the architect? Oh, so you work for the architect? I'm like, no, no, it's me. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, I'm, yeah, I would imagine you get that all, all, all the, time. the time. Right, because right. I look young, I'm small, so I look even younger. Right. Like, Asian woman, like, just, it's like a whole thing. And at some point, it's okay. I mean, when I was, when I worked for the city, the day I started, I was 21. I probably looked 16. <laughs> I mean, baby, baby face. Yeah. And I remember going out to the site, and because it was public work, it was low bid, and this guy's putting up rubber base. He left a huge gap and I was you know and I, it's my first project and I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling this this ownership and this is my baby and people who don't have homes are about to have homes yeah. and how dare you not give them you know your best like I'm just like just brimming with like you know <laughs> indignation and I was like are you gonna fix that he looks at me like right there's this 16 year old kid right like, right yeah 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 I'm gonna fix it. I'm like no really can you can you fix that? <laughs> and he's like completely blowing me off. Well, I'm wearing boots, right? I'm wearing steel toe boots. I kicked a hole in the wall. And I was like, are you going to fix that? And his face fell. He's like, yeah, I'm going to take care of that right now. Thank you. Because now you have to take the whole thing down and, and really put it back. So <laughs> thank you. Wow, like, you're so brave. I No, I was just <laughs> foolhardy. I would never pull something like that now. But I was pissed. <laughs> I was sick. I was 21 and pissed. Like, what are you doing? What? Like, take me seriously. Oh, my God. Like, how, how am I going to get you to, you big, burly construction guy. How am I going to get you to take me seriously? I guess I got to act like you. I got to be big and burly. I am now, you know, I'm smarter than that now. <laughs> I'll talk my way out of it now. But the time, I wasn't quite confident with my mouth. So I was just like, okay, well. You get this part, so. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you did that. <laughs> I, 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 I like to tell that story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I had a story like that, I would love telling it too. <laughs> so my student interns were really interested in one of the questions that we came up with, which is that you interview prospective students sometimes for Yale. Mm -hmm. What do you look for in those interviews? So all schools have personalities, and I mean, Yale's definitely have a personality. And part of that, well, there's two things. It's still being curious and caring about the world around you. So you're a voracious reader because you want to know about X, Y, and Z. You want to go to Yale because so many great public servants went there. It's that stuff. I mean, the arts there are really great. So people who are really into music and drama, you know, would do really well. But people who don't care about other people don't fare well there. I mean, I remember all my college interviews and how carnivorous I was. I'm never dressed up. And I tell them don't dress up because... You know, and it's just a conversation. It's okay if you don't know your, who you are. I mean, I didn't know who I was at 17, so, but I appreciate those who know they don't know who they are and those who are open to the possibility of changing their mind about what they think, because that just, again, means that you're curious and you're open and that the world around you matters. 
everybody volunteers. I mean, I think there's like a checklist now <laughs> for kids trying to get into schools. Like it's any school. Yeah, yeah, any school, all of them. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there are all these boxes they check. And of course, everybody you interview has, you know, community service. But I'm always looking like, well, what do you do? Are you doing that stuff that looks really good? Or are you doing stuff that like you really care about? Right. So it's not like a thing, you yeah. know? It's not like, oh, you're about to give me a discourse on Dostoevsky. Like, mm, right. I don't care about that. Right. You know, I, I'm assuming you're well-read. I often ask how they deal with a challenge they didn't do well on or, or disappointment. Because if disappointment knocks you down for a really long time, you know, it's not the place for you. You have to... Be disappointed and learn from your disappointment and, and, and move on. There's all those cliches about all the things you learn in failure that you don't learn in success, blah, blah, blah. I mean, cliche, but kind of true. And I mm-hmm. try not to go there. But that's kind of, you know, that's what I'm thinking. It's just like, are you resilient? So that's what I look for. I'm trying to get to know who you are, not the paper you, but the real you. Those kids are lucky, the ones who get assigned to you. When I interviewed, it was all Wall Street guys. <laughs> Wall Street guys and lawyers, I think the youngest one was probably in his 60s. Wow. In these fabulous, fabulous apartments in New York. Um, And here I am, this, like, working-class kid from public school, walking up to these, like, doorman apartments on Fifth Avenue and Riverside Drive, like, okay. (laughs) I assume I wasn't intimidated because I got in, but (laughs) I just, you know, like, that part of Yale still exists, but it's not only what Yale is now. Yeah. And so there are Yaleys that look like me. And so I consider myself an ambassador for the school as much as I'm trying to, you know, help pick the next generation. But like you talk about going to these Fifth Avenue beautiful apartments. So how how was it that you dreamt that big? Because you talk about people not being able to dream of something if they can't see it and that being important. Well, my, uh, so my, my mom, my mother was one of nine. None of my aunts and uncles went to college. They all graduated high school and went to work. My mom turned down going to college to help support the other kids. She was third. But all my cousins went to college. So there was just that set expectation, like, you're going to college. You know, everybody went off to college, and everybody's got, you know, good careers. And so there's that one level of, like... It wasn't really a dream. It's like, you're going to college, so off with you. Like, that's what you're going to do. School was really always important. And I think the other reason I I like to do Yale interviews and why I, you know, I'm very proud of where I went to school is because I'm the product of a New York City public school education, period. PS28, PS187, and Bronx High School of Science, like public school. And you can get a good education need to make the best of what you have and yeah. you can do what you need to do. And as far as architecture goes, I liked art and I liked science, but I wasn't a really great artist. And I actually, I really did like science. I actually got into engineering school, so I really liked science. But, you know, in high school, I discovered art and science equals architecture. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's what I want to do. And my mom and I used like on a Saturday, like riding the bus somewhere, shopping, whatever. And she'd just point out all these buildings she loved. She loved buildings. She loved them. And Aww. the apartment buildings in New York are beautiful. So she'd point those out and we might get off the bus and like walk into the lobby of one. And so that was also part of it. I'm like, oh, this is a job. You can make this. This is cool. So that's how that happened. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't have that relationship with buildings until I was much older. Yeah, and I didn't know any architects. I just didn't think of it as a career. Oh, I guess I got lucky because, um, like I said, my mom worked for the city of New York, and um, some of the guys she worked with were architects and engineers. So they would, like, send her home with drafting books and engineering books. Oh, cool. And they totally fed that. So that, was, <laughs> that was also very cool. Do you think that out of architecture school, someone could go and work and do what you're doing now? Or do you think that they kind of have to gain other practical knowledge in order to... I mean, I think if you're smart enough, you can learn to do anything, right? I mean, apart from like maybe brain surgery. <laughs> like, you, know, you don't want any on-job training for your brain surgeon. But, um, <laughs> no. But, yeah, right? But um, yeah, I mean, I think so. There are some who are really young and they're just curious. There are certain things, like what I do now, particularly what I'm doing right, right now, there are steps. It's planning. There are steps. You do this and then you do this and then you do this. And if you don't do that, you can't get to that. You could be holistic about it or you could be very like, here's the checklist and there are the things you need to get done. And so if you can be organized and you can keep seeing in front of you if that's your skill set you don't have to have gone through my career to get to where you are i think it will be harder but it's not not possible somebody just started with us about a month ago she might have two three years of experience maybe and i was fascinated because i was like why did you leave architecture so quickly and she just wanted to see what what else was out there and i was Uh like well that's interesting that you landed here because i don't think two three years into my career i knew that what i do was something you could do so i find her incredibly impressive because she just made that leap and you know she's doing well She's got her whole career ahead of her. Ahead of her, right. I mean, we just had a conversation. She said, so should I do my um, CMAA or my PMP or do my license? And I'm just like, well, why wouldn't you do your license? You're an architect, you know? But she was, she's already at that point where is it going to be worth it for me to do my license if this is what I want to do and I'm really good at it and I'm really enjoying it. And I just, I wow. mean, I, I encourage her to do her license just because I just feel like it gives you so many options. If you do your PMP, you're always a project manager. And it just means you're a project manager. No offense to project managers, because I was one. But, you know, you learn how to manage a project. I don't know that you learn how to plan and get creative. You know, if you do your CMAA, you'll be a construction manager. And that's what, you know, you'll be a construction manager. And I've worked with construction managers. I mean, I've been one. But I've also worked with construction managers who are fabulous construction managers but I would let them manage a project. Hmm. Wow. I just, in fact, I worked with one who tried to manage a project, and I was like, no, let me do that. It's, it's too painful. Let me just take care of that. <laughs> Go back in the field and deal with that, because wow. I just feel like there's those architecture skill sets. So as an architect, you think you can do all of those rather than just like, one of those. pigeonholing yourself mm-hmm. into one? Mm-hmm. Was there one that you enjoyed the most? I really enjoyed the planning side. Construction management, there's a lot of conflict. I would imagine. It's, a, it's stressful. It's stressful because 
the contractor is going to fight because he you think he's delaying the project and he's not and he wants more time and or here comes that change order and it's just like oh no i'm not going to give you thirty thousand dollars how about 25 no how about 20 and that whole dance that you have to do i don't find that fun i i mean the part that i found fun was like solving the problem of this looks like this what do we do okay well we could do this or we could do that Write the RFI to the architect and tell him what you think you should do. And I felt like as a CM, I was like the team coach trying to get them to play well together. Um, and program, to me, program was like very clinical. It was a lot of worrying about money <laughs> <laughs> and how to get from here to here with the dollars that you have and reporting to the superintendent. <laughs> And reporting to the Citizens Oversight Committee and making sure that, you know, you have done your proper accounting and that every penny is well spent. Because I've been fortunate to work for districts that are very good stewards of the public money. It's um, important. It's important. But this is just, it's fun. Because I'm just looking at so many different things at different times. And then things come up and, you know, again, problem solving. So Parkland happens. And we have many open school campuses. Right, right, right. And then it's like, okay, well, how do we solve that problem? And unfortunately, you know, the solution is to put a gate. Unfortunately, you cannot get around that. But then you take it that one step further of, okay, so we've done that. But then how are we securing once you get inside? How are we making sure the kids are safe? It's a lame problem to have. But it was just really interesting because it came upon us like that. Before Parkland, that wasn't a project. And then it became a project, and we're all scrambling to solve the problem. It's the excitement of solving problems in the most, the simplest way, the most elegant way, the most unobtrusive way. And, you know, the other cool thing is just I get exposed to things like joint use between the city and the school district, and what does that look like, and how can we make a mutually beneficial agreement. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I really enjoy learning about all the different possibilities in our field. I wish that that got taught in school, that you don't necessarily have to come out and try to be the designer with a capital D. I mean, you know, in Europe, lots of people go to architecture school without the intention of being an architect. And I wish that that was true here, that people understood that an architecture education teaches you how to think and how to solve problems, and how to, well, depending on where you went to school, how to work in a team and potentially lead the team, and that that's valuable in and outside of architecture offices. And that, again, you can have an effect on the built environment without necessarily being a designer. I feel like I have that effect every day. And because of the work that I found myself in, There are hundreds, if not thousands, of kids who have a better place to go to school. Particularly coming back to the public work. Particularly, I mean, we're taught, you can only speak to your context, and my context for my entire life has been urban. What I've come to understand more recently is that there are public spaces that are home or safe haven to people. I mean, I never thought of school as like a safe haven. I got bullied as a kid. I couldn't wait to go home. So to me, that was not what school was. But for some kids, it's the only food they get. 
It's the only time that there's peace and quiet. They might get lucky and have a teacher that really cares about them and spends time talking to them and kind of helping nurture them in a way that does not happen at home. If you give kids a good place to play, a nice park with some grass and a tree or two and a basketball hoop or a good field to kick a soccer ball, that's time that they get to spend as kids and not in stress and strife, a nice streetscape to walk down when you have to go ride the stupid bus. Like there's just, there are these, just these little ways that you can have a positive effect on a person that you don't think about. Most of the schools I've ever done are public schools. So I get to have that positive effect in the same way that my first job when I did low income housing. And I did it at 21 as a budding young architect and I'm doing it at the age I'm not going to tell you, um, <laughs> as, as, a, as a project planner for a school district. So I feel like I still, at heart, am doing what I wanted to do. It just looks different. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the XXLA Architects podcast featuring Leslie Sidnor and myself, Audrey Sato. As I mentioned previously, I hope to see you all at the opening of the Now What exhibit, the Powerful Conference, and other events coming up soon. You can find me on social media at XXLA Podcast or online at XX-LA.com. I hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.